0: Marvin Bryant here, he is the the preacher, preaching minister for the Northwest Church of Christ here in San Antonio, an excellent speaker, has been uh, the whole time I've ever known him, and I've known him, we decided tonight, since 1984, that's a long time, Um, he has always had in mind a very specific need of helping and outreach to others, Uh, and so I knew that he would be excellent on this particular topic. Marvin is married to Gail, they have two grown children, she's with him tonight, And he's been in San Antonio for almost 21 years. He's been here a while. So, Marvin, please. Good evening. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to know you, most of you. You can decide if that was something that applied to you or not. If you're a part of the most of you, then I'm glad to know. I'm not happy that I have voice issues. I'm not happy that I've got a cold or sinus or something. I am not cool, but I'm keeping water up here. And if I hold it, it's to remind me to drink it. I don't want you to think that I think I'm cool. I'm just trying to relax. Uh, I, I appreciate Doug. Doug looks like he doesn't have his act together, doesn't he, tonight? But but, uh, (laughs) I've got somebody like that in my church too. But actually, Doug knows that many people don't believe in organized religion. And so he's trying to demonstrate that at Mac we have disorganized religion. And that's a good thing happy to be here Doug is not the only one with issues I I know I know some people who are really really hurting I know a family whose 7 year old boy was on his bicycle sitting on it on the sidewalk waiting for the ice cream truck when a teenage driver by, dropped his cell phone, reached down to get it, jumped the curb, and killed that little boy, and we did his funeral. I know a man who grew up going to a Christian uh, grade school and high school and then left his faith, uh, married somebody that worked for him invested everything into reaching the top of his field, really living for the prestige more so than the money, and made it just about to the top of his field, only to have charges filed against him to where he's put on administrative leave. And now, instead of doing nothing except work, He's just doing nothing, and it's killing him. I know people whose lives are falling apart. I know people who are doing well. Uh, I know a lot of people who are doing okay and struggling with some stuff. And that's what I'm doing. Uh, I'm 57 years old. I lived about 50 years of my life stuffing my feelings, being a perfectionist, and trying to have my act together. And if not that, trying to look like I had my act together. And as a result of that, I am an emotional retard. I am behind. I've I've got some of it. I've got some of it. I'm just a little behind. And because of being a perfectionist and stuffing my feelings and not looking at what's going on inside, I've got all kinds of thoughts and feelings that are not healthy and that I'm not comfortable with and that I'm embarrassed about. And I'm trying to talk about some of them so that you will feel free to do the same. And what I'm trying to say is that both the world and the church are full of broken, hurting people. And you may be one of them. Uh, You probably are one of them, whether you have let yourself see that or not. There's a story, it may be, Fictitious, I don't know, of a man who was praying and he his heart was breaking because of all the pain in the world. And he said, God, look at look at what's happening. Look at all these people who are hurting so badly. Why don't you do something? Why don't you send help? And he believed that the response from God was, I did send help i sent you and i think god is sending us to touch and help and heal the broken hurting people of the world how do we do that i don't i don't think i can answer all of that question i think i can address it and i think the most important thing is to love genuinely. It's just to love genuinely, authentically. Uh, It's not a program. Everybody knows that. It's not a secret formula. I mean, there's better and worse things to do, but what we most need to do is love genuinely. And if we are authentic, loving people, then we will touch the world, the brokenness of the world, and it will make a difference. Uh, Romans 12 verse 9 says just that. Love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. And I find it very interesting that right after that, he says, hate what is evil and cling to what is good which leads right into Ecclesiastes, right? My line is a time to love and a time to hate. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 8. Sounds like the Romans passage. Now, in in case I forget to say this, uh, I know you've had a lot of lessons this summer, a lot of good stuff from Ecclesiastes. Uh, I've never been the last speaker in a series before, so I don't know how to do that. You know, I'll go home tomorrow to my guy's breakfast group and I'll tell them uh, I was the the final speaker. And they'll tell me, yeah, after you they decided to quit. So I don't really know how to do that. But I I do want to say this. If there was was one that touched you and affected you uh, and maybe that you told yourself, I'm going to do something about this one, then go dig those notes out and if you don't have the notes, go look up the text. Or I don't know if y'all are taping these, but do something to remind yourself of your conviction that night and do something with it. Uh, one of the dreadful nightmares of speakers is that we get up here and we speak, and we speak, and we speak. That's kind of your nightmare too, right? <laughs> um, but the nightmare, nightmare is if it doesn't make any difference, if nothing changes. So do something. Uh, recapture the speaker or the message uh, that caught you and do something with that. So a time to love and a time to hate. I'm going to start with a time to hate. There is a time to hate. We're supposed to hate sin. We're supposed to hate evil. We just read that in Romans 12. Um, Hebrews says that Jesus said he loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Uh, Jude reminds us to show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by the corrupted flesh. There is a time and a place to hate. Most of us heard love the sinner, hate the sin. Right? Did you hear that? Love the sinner, hate the sin. Um, Am I the only one who ever has a hard time separating the two? Just going to Kind of be honest here tonight. You may recognize some of those faces or some of those kinds of people. And I'm going to guess that I'm not the only one who sometimes has a hard time separating the sinner from the sin. Um, I'm just, You know, when you're speaking away from home, you just say it, you know, right? I'm just going to say it. I'm really tired of hearing Christians talk about how sinful the world is. And one of the reasons I'm tired of that is because so often when we talk like that, and it's true, anybody not know that? It's true. But one of the reasons I'm tired of that is because it comes across like, and I'm not. And I'm thinking that maybe a better place for us to focus is to focus on hating our own sins. Do you hate your sins? Prerequisite there is knowing what they are. In Psalm 36, wicked people are described as those who in their own eyes flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sins. Embarrassing confession, I can remember a time when if you asked me if I was a sinner, I would have said yes because I knew that was the correct answer. If you asked me to name one, I would have been hard pressed. Not because there wasn't any, but it was back to that perfectionist thing and putting on that air of having my act together. I can remember, oh, group sharing time is coming up and they might ask us to say something that we do wrong. I've got to think of something. Uh, perhaps you're like that. Perhaps you don't need much time you know, to think of, of what yours is. But do you have enough self-awareness that you can name yours? Could you name some of your sins? And if you can... Do you hate those sins? And not just hate the consequences, but hate the actual sins. I eat emotionally, and I eat too much. And sometimes I hate the way it makes me feel physically. And I hate the idea that I'm an overeater, but I don't hate eating. And I suspect it's going to be a problem until I at least hate overeating. I think we're not going to make a lot of progress on our sins as long as we really kind of like them. So do you hate gossiping? Do you hate greed? Do you hate lust? Do you hate self-righteousness? We're still talking about ourselves here, understand. And again, I don't, I don't want to shame us. Uh, I don't think that's a very helpful thing. That old thing about love the sinner, hate the sin applies to you too. So don't shame yourself, but do humble yourself. yourself. And I think this all ties together because our love is not going to be sincere until we hate our sins because all the self centeredness of our sins takes away from our ability to love. I can't love you if I'm feeling guilty. I can't love you if I'm thinking about how wonderful I am. I can't love you if I'm wondering if you're going to feed me. I can't love you if I'm trying to make a good impression on you. It's not until we get rid of that stuff that we can love sincerely. So yeah, there is a time to hate. But there is also a time to love. And I don't know about you, I'm ready for that. Uh, Enough of that hate stuff for now. It's always time to love. It's always time to love. Since God is love, um, actions that are obviously loving as well as some other actions that are not so obviously loving are all a part of love. I'm thinking about the way God treats us And then the way we want to treat each other. There are some things God does for us that are obviously loving. Some other things that maybe are not so obviously loving, like proper judging. There's a kind of judging we're supposed to do. Did you know that? 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and chapter 6 talk about a kind of judging of each other that we are supposed to do. And if you do that, and you do it in the right way, it's loving. It doesn't feel like it. To you, or are to them. But there is a kind of judging that we're supposed to do. Uh, restoring someone caught in sin, expressing heartfelt concern for someone hating sin. Those may not feel like loving actions, but they are. God is love, and He does all of that for us. And so it's always time to love. At Northwest, we are trying to learn to live in love. It's one of our mottos. We're not done yet. And we didn't copyright it. Can't copyright that and i don't I'm not saying you should have it as your motto, but it's not a bad personal motto, and it's got to be love, and it's got to be lived and it's got to be learned, learning to live in love. If we can learn to love sincerely, including living in love, we won't give in to apathy or hate, but we'll instead share God's love with the world. But it can't be 60s hippie commune love or any of the versions of that that we may see still today we have to understand what sincere love is. So let me rattle off a little list. You can fill in your next five blanks and then we'll go back and look in detail. Love is a feeling. I'm going to defend that. Love is action. Love is regardless love is sacrificial love is universal and probably several other things but let's let's go with these love is a feeling now it's more than a feeling christian love is more than a feeling but sometimes we have jumped ahead to the more than, to the neglect of the feeling. And even emotional retards know that love is a feeling. Do you honestly think God is up in heaven looking down on us saying, well, I know I've got to love them, but I never told myself I have to like them? Do you think God thinks like that? Um, He he says that we are precious in His sight and that He loves us and He holds us close to His heart. Do you find it satisfying if people do the deeds of love for you but there's no feeling of love? You know, you were in the hospital and they brought food over and knocked on the door and stuck it in your face and said, See ya? You know, it's it's really more than just the food, isn't it? Isn't there a feeling that's supposed to go along with that? You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I mean 13, verse 3, uh, that great love chapter that we read a lot, and we never park on verse 3 very long. It says, If I give All I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, to hear some of us talk about love, we say love is doing, love is action. It is. We're going to get to that point. But sometimes we reduce it just to the actions without the feeling. But here, he talks about doing the actions but not having love, which tells me that that love includes feelings. Love is a feeling that leads to action. And I don't think you've got to be best friends with everybody. I don't think you can be. But I think if you're sitting back there saying, he said to love them, he didn't say we have to like them, that your love is suspect. Love is a feeling and I believe God gives us that part of love too. Love is also an action. Text after text says that. Right here in 1 Corinthians 13, you've probably done the little game where you substitute your name for the word love and then try to read it without laughing. Okay? Marvin is patient. Marvin is Kind, Marvin does not envy, Marvin does not boast. Marvin is not proud. It's getting a little harder as we go through. But see, all of those things are actions. And back to that Romans 12 verse 9, love must be sincere. It's followed by a whole list of little bitty exhortations, most of which are actions. John tells us in 1 John 3, let us not love with word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. And his example is material help. Love is an action. We need to learn to live in love. It's a feeling
1: that leads
0: to an action. Um, I, I like this little acronym. You know, it's I don't know, maybe it's a little cheesy to you, Uh, but listening is a specific way of showing love, overlooking petty faults, and forgiving all failures. Y'all probably don't need that at your church like we do. That's an awkward silence.
1: Valuing
0: them for who they are, you know, the respect you show somebody, Uh, And expressing love in a practical way, just hundreds of little practical ways, love is an action. And sometimes it's the really big stuff. And sometimes it's the little stuff, the everyday stuff. Uh, Love is regardless. It's getting a little harder here. Love is a feeling, but you love regardless of whether you're feeling it. Okay? It's a feeling. But you do the actions of love even if you're not feeling it. I don't think that's hypocrisy. I don't think that's fake it till you make it. I think that is faith it till you make it. In faith, you choose to act in love even though you're not feeling it and you pray that God will help you have the feeling. Uh, you acknowledge that it's not enough. And so you pray to have the feeling as well. Love is also regardless of whether you think they deserve it. Uh, have you ever said, but they don't deserve? And You finish the sentence and God says, but you don't deserve... uh, You know, we can have our relationship with God on the basis of deserts or mercy. And if we're going to treat the people with justice, God's going to treat us with justice. If we're going to treat the people with mercy, then God will treat us with mercy. Love is regardless of what we feel and it's regardless of whether they deserve it, and it's regardless of whether you think it's working. Remember, our whole context here is how do we love a broken world? And sometimes you love and you love and you love, and it doesn't seem to matter, but you love anyway. You love regardless. That sin and that brokenness and that dysfunction is deeply ingrained and it's going to take a lot of love to undo it and that's what God is doing with us and so that's what we do with others love is sacrificial if it is actions and if it is regardless then there's going to be sacrifice it's going to cost you something love is the feeling but when you get to this point, it doesn't always feel good. I mean, you, you get in there and do what needs to be done anyway, uh, but it's a sacrifice, and there will be a cost, and we learn that from Jesus, right? Uh, you've seen the John 3.16 signs. Have you seen the 1 John 3.16 signs? You know, we don't see that. Uh, we know love by this. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. So it's sacrificial, and it's universal. It's everybody. Uh, It's your spouse, if you've got one. It's your family, or whoever it is you live with. It's your friends at church. It's the liberals at church. It's the conservatives at church. It's the people that are always stirring the pot, the people who haven't changed anything in years. It's all those people. And that is one of the places where it's really tested if our love is genuine. If you you only greet those who greet you, Jesus says, what have you done more than anyone else? That's no test. It's easy to love your friends most of the time but it's hard sometimes to love all the church and then the world. Okay, so family and church and world. Yeah, I think we could say a lot more about each of those. I think we could add to that, but we're not. We're going to go on. So how do we learn to live in love? Uh, make a few practical suggestions here. we am having a little trouble. Um, learn God's love for you We love because he first loved us, right? God is love, and we love because he first loved us, which means we need to learn his love for us. And I think one of the ways we do that is by praying that we will get it. Uh, I I love the prayer in Ephesians 4, verse 17. Uh, Paul prays that they would grasp. How long and wide and high and deep is the love of Christ? That's beyond comprehension. Can't really get it, but he prays that they will get it. And he prays it along with all the saints, so this would be good for us to pray together and talk about together, uh, and by the power of his Spirit. God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Spirit, but we may not get it. And I'm not sure I get it. I think I get it better than I used to. But I don't think we're going to really love well until we know that we are well loved. So we need to park on that. It's not just a neat old thing to do, but meditate and pray that we will get how much God loves us. Another thing is that love is a fruit of the Spirit, and so we need to learn to let God's Spirit bear that fruit of love in us. Um, I think we did a summer over here on the fruit of the Spirit, so i won't to review that right now. But I will say the emphasis of that passage and and that extended chapters 5 and 6 passage is on God's work through His Spirit to change us. There's a huge emphasis on the work of God's Spirit. That's the fruit, not of Marvin, not of you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. But that text also tells us two ways we cooperate and allow Him to work. Uh, One of them is in verse 24 when it says, We crucify the flesh, crucify the sinful nature. And the other one is in verse 25 when it says we keep in step with the Spirit. And so we need to trust that God's Spirit really does have the power to change us into people who love in that deep and rich way that we talked about, and we cooperate by crucifying our flesh and keeping in step with the Spirit. And then one other is learn love by practicing uh, I hate to tell this, but your doctor is practicing medicine. And he's practicing on you and me. And if they can do that, we can do that. You don't learn it when you're sitting by yourself in your quiet time. That's helpful, but that's not where you learn it. I'm going to tell you a proverb not in the bible if you want patience and you pray for patience what do you get children <laughs> that's one specific of what i was thinking if you pray for patience you get problems right you know guess what you get if you pray for love It's people, but it's not angels. You don't learn to love by hanging out with the angels. You learn to love by hanging out with the broken people, the people that are cranky. But because you listen to that, you can separate the sinner and the sin, and you know that the person is cranky because they're hurting, and because they're broken. And you know that what they really need is not for you to be cranky back, but to love them in their brokenness. And I think if our love is going to be authentic, it's got to start at home with the spouse and the kids and the parents. I don't know what that is, but somehow, with the kind of familiarity we get in families, we feel like it's okay to treat them just terribly sometimes. And we say, well, that's the real me. And I'm thinking the real me may need to repent uh, and may need to learn to live in love at home. And if you don't do that, we're not going to be authentic lovers. We're not going to love authentically. And then we learn with the whole family, and then we learn with the church family, and then we learn with those people at church, and then we learn to love the world. And I don't mean you finish one before you go on to the next, okay? but it's got to start right there at home. Uh, I don't know, I don't know where you're at on all this. I feel, I feel like I have wasted about 50 years of my life. And that's not really true. It's not all been wasted. But I've missed so much because I stuffed my feelings for all those years. And I'm now learning to live in love. And I'm making a little bit of progress. And I wish I had learned quicker, but there's nothing I can do about that. And so I want to urge you to start where you are right now and meditate and pray that you will know God's love, that you will trust that His Spirit can make you into a loving person And that you will cooperate with the training when that comes around. And that you will practice loving behaviors at home and in this church. And then maybe we'll make a difference in the broken world.